Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in loving as children of God. And we're going to be jumping into God's Word and we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3. And so I'm going to go ahead and read this passage for us here in just a moment. But before we dive into that passage, before we look at that passage, I want us to, to talk momentarily just about what love is and what we see love or what our culture views love as. This idea of a selfless love is something that is unique, really, truly, to the gospel. And so in verses 16 through 22, God's going to define love for us. And so let's look at this. It says in verse 16, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. This week I was made aware of an article by a commentator by the name of Ali Stuckey. And Ali Stuckey began the, the process of, of looking at this idea of self-love. And so, as we look at that, as we understand self-love, we understand what self-love is, we need to be reminded that God hasn't called us to self-love, but to a love of wholehearted surrender to Him. And as a result of that wholehearted surrender to Him, God is desiring us to be a people who love one another, and that that love for Christ is actually demonstrated through our love for others. In this book that she, writ, she wrote, is a book that's titled, You Are Not Enough, and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love. And what it's dealing with is this kind of modern idea of what self-love is. This idea that we are to love ourselves. And we hear this language all throughout our our culture all throughout our that you just need to love yourself more but the truth is is that we need to allow Christ to love us and as a result of that we need to love others and in this book she seeks to to refute five myths the first is that you are enough the first myth is that you are enough that the truth is is what we believe in Christ is that we're not enough apart from Jesus. There's nothing that makes us holy. There's nothing we can do that makes us righteous. But that Christ is enough. And because Christ is enough, then we're enough. 
It's that Christ is the one that is doing the completing work in us. The second thing that she myth that she decides that she wants to deal with is the fact that you determine your truth. We hear that all the time. What's your truth? Live out your truth. Truth is truth. It's not relative. And we need to be careful that we don't adopt the language of the culture which speaks of you tell your truth. No, truth is truth. The next is it you're perfect the way you are. Well, we are made in the image of God. But we are broken vessels because of sin. And a result of that sin It is Christ who does the perfecting work in us, who desires to perfect us and work through us. Number four, you're entitled to your dreams. Right? We we often talk about the fact that there is this, I'm gonna fulfill my dreams, and it's a good thing to have dreams and to have goals, but we're not entitled to them. But we live in a culture where our dreams actually have become entitlements in many ways. But the last one was what really stood out to me. A myth that she was trying to to refute within the culture, and it's the fact that you can't love others until you love yourself. Well, God actually says something there, right? The truth is not you can't love others until you love yourself. The truth is you can't love others until you love Christ. It's in Christ that we're able to love others. It's in Christ that we see ourselves as loved. And it is Christ who actually moves within us to help us love others. And so, at the heart of our passage this morning in 1 John 3, 16-22, the truth is that Christ is both our model and means for loving others. Christ is both our model and means for loving others. He's our model and means for loving. Now last week, Kelly preached out of verses 10 through 15, and he talked about the love-hate relationship. And verse 10 actually provides the context for our passage this morning. It, It says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So John actually uses Cain, if you'll recall from last week, to contrast hate, which is of the devil, to love, which is of God. And he says here, by this it is evident who are the children of God. So loving as the children of God is actually a part of who we are as a children of God. It's God changing and working in our own heart and in our own lives to give us a love for others. And John wants us to see that unless you love others, we're not to actually have confidence in the fact that we know Christ. You see, it is that Christ is the one working in us and He's actually moving us towards Him. He's actually moving us and changing us and shaping us to have a heart and a love for people. 
One of the sayings often is, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Well, there's two things wrong with that statement. The first is how you're defining church. The church is not the place or the building or the administration. The church is the followers of Christ. An imperfect group of people perfected in Jesus. Which means that every one of us comes with, with warts and with sin and all kinds of baggage. And it means that Christ is the one who then comes and does the perfecting work within us. It means that it's not always going to be nice and easy and smooth. It means that there are going to be times of messiness and uncomfortableness. But if we are to love Jesus, and we love Jesus, then God will actually give us a love for His church. So that the first part is how we define church. The second part is the thought that we can actually love Jesus without loving His people. John's making that clear. So in verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So how do we bear witness that we're children of God? It's through our love for others. And and this love is not defined by the world, but is defined by Christ. It's one of the arguments that today so often we have as we listen to people speak about love. And they'll often say, well, God is love. And love, what they mean is actually tolerance, that they'll tolerate everything and speak directly in truth to to very little. We have a culture that is marked by... now. The, the whole terminology of, of basically microaggressions and macroaggressions. The idea that, that words can be so offensive that they, they actually generate and lead to violence. As followers of Christ, we need to see that the, the definer of love is God. It's Christ. And this is what it says. This is why, or by this, we know love. So he begins verse 16, by this we know love. What he's actually doing is he's telling us and showing us what love is. So, loving as Christ loves us involves two things. The first is it involves genuine sacrifice and deference towards others. Genuine sacrifice and deference towards others. As followers of Christ, we need to understand this. We need to understand that Christ is moving and working. We need to hold on to the the truth that 
What God is calling us to is a life that is to be lived like His, one of genuine sacrifice and deference towards others. You see, God's love is selfless, it's sacrificial, and it's wholehearted. 1 John 3.16 says that He laid down His life for us. Therefore, if we are to love others, it's going to require that we love and that we love sacrificially. Now, the more famous John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. See, John 3.16 is wholehearted. It's wholehearted. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is a life of sacrifice. God's saying that if we are to love others, it's going to cost. It's going to cost. Alistair Begg put it this way. He said, using the Greek word agape, this is a giving love. It's not based on what we receive, but on what we give. How do we measure God's love for us? By calculating the infinite value of His precious Son, Jesus Christ. We are undoubtedly intended to reflect upon this in light of our love for our own children. Another commentator says this, self-preservation is the first law of physical life, but self-sacrifice is the first law of of spiritual life. When we love sacrificially, we go against the way that the world loves We're willing to lay down our lives for others. We're willing to to give up our preferences and our comforts. Two weeks ago as we sang in church and we had that kind of momentary order that spoke of the need to sing with masks on in church. I'll tell you, my initial reaction was I didn't particularly like it a whole lot. And I was really curious as to how worshiping with my mask on would would change. And the truth is, is I was completely changed by doing it. As I sang with my mask on, what I realized was that I was still able to praise God out loud. And my momentary comfort and annoyance with having to sing with it on was overwhelmed by the fact that churches in China sing in quiet, backlit places. Small little roomed and hushed voices they sing together. Listen. When we love one another well and we consider others and we, we do it for the sake of others, there's a cost. 
And yet what God continues to show us is that He is at work and that He's calling us to to do what is best for others, not what is best just simply for me. And if that is what is best right now in this season, to help protect and to, to care and to, to help prevent what can bring destruction, that's an act of love that we can walk in with one another. The issue deals with the grumbling of our own hearts, does it not? Believers throughout the world would love to be able to worship in the current environments that we're in. They would love to be able to to worship at home online or to be able to gather outside. But we live in a comfortable place and our Christianity in America, while it's hard to say this, is comfortable many times. How can we weather our faith in love for one another well? What's God asking you to do? What's God asking you to sacrifice so that we can live out and love one another well? The second aspect of of loving as Christ loved is that we generously meet each other's needs. We're called to generously meet one another's needs. So if we're to love one another... And God has called us to love one another. It involves both sacrifice and deference towards one another. It means that we lay aside our preferences and our desires so that others might thrive and grow. And we generously meet the needs of others. Notice what verse 17 through 18 says. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, loving others involves sacrifice, a laying down of our blessings to meet the needs of others as we surrender to Christ. The, the genuineness of our love for the Lord is not measured in what we say, but in a love that both speaks and acts in accordance with His truth. To love in word is to simply acknowledge or sometimes even pray about needs rather than to love in deed, which is actually to do something about the need. You see, God's saying if you, you have the ability, if you have the goods, if you have the resources... We need to meet one another's needs within the church. This was what was happening in Acts 2 and Acts 4 when people were actually selling their property and putting it at the feet of the apostles so that none would be in need. In our own lives, I think at times we can see needs and there are going to be seasons where, and times when there's discernment where we say, this is not the opportunity that the Lord is causing me to actually meet this person's need. But I think too often we're quick to say we're not that person. And I think too often we can say the cost is too high. 
And yet Scripture is saying that when we love one another, if we have the world's goods and we see our brother in need, we are to meet that need. We don't look at a brother who's without food or a sister who's without food or shelter or without clothing and look at them and say, listen, I'll pray for you when my drawers are fully stocked. But the truth is, it's not even that. It's what Paul spoke of the Philippians who had given sacrificially to him. The churches of Macedonia who had given generously even in their poverty It means that I bear up with one another. I had a family member that came to me and shared with me the desire of their heart to take their stimulus check and to meet the need of a person with it. And she said, you know, I could use it for other things. There's other things, sure, that I could use, but, but I don't actually need it. I, I have regular income, and I know this person does not. That's a way to love one another. That's having the goods and seeing the need. See, it's really easy to say that we'll pray for somebody because it doesn't involve us having to engage beyond that. And we need people who are praying, but when we see the need in front of us and we, we have the ability to meet that need, God's saying we need to meet that need. Those needs can be physical and monetary. It can even be skillful needs. That you have a skill set that can come alongside and help. And then he says here in this funny party, he uses this word, word or talk. The idea behind this idea of loving and talk is an idea of insincere love. It's not simply saying, hey, I'll pray for you, but it's acting as if you do care, but that your heart is actually totally disengaged. We know that times. We know those seasons in our own life where we're actively talking to somebody and somebody's speaking to us and we're actually loving them not in truth, but in talk. You see, Genuine, authentic love. When we go and we meet people's physical and monetary and skillful needs, we'll also develop relationship and meet relational needs as well. The idea here is that the heart is not closed against them. When we see a need and we refuse to meet it, when we have the resources to do it, We actually close our heart against our brother. We harden our heart against our brother or sister. That's actually what we're being told. We harden ourselves against them. I have a good friend that's been in ministry and partnered in ministry with me for years. And years ago, probably 25 some years ago, I remember him describing it this way. He simply said that to meet needs in this way, to give in this way, 
is to have a noticeable difference in your standard of living. To have a noticeable difference in your standard of living. Loving generously means that you will give up certain things that are important to you, certain comforts that are important to you. That's what he's saying here when you see those who are in need. Those who are in need within the body of Christ. Because God has called us to meet those needs generously. You see, this means that I'm looking for what God has for me rather than what I have for me. And this kind of love calls me to a love at a cost. David Platt puts it this way, to everyone wanting a safe, untroubled, comfortable life, free from danger, stay away from Jesus. The danger in our lives will always increase in proportion to the depth of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's true. The sacrifice that we're being called to will always increase as we grow in Christ. And notice, there's an accountability here that when we have the needs, the means to meet the need and see the need ourselves, we're accountable when we, we willingly choose to harden ourselves against our brother or sister and not meet that need. Now notice what he says here. He actually tells us here then how to love the way that Christ loves. But then he says, listen, it sounds like you just lost a lot. And in our culture, we do put a lot of security in finances and things. But ironically, the security that is often sought through the material blessings of this life are actually found in the selfless, sacrificial love towards others empowered by Christ's grace. Because loving as Christ loves leads to a couple of things. When we love the way that Christ has called us to love, even though in the moment we're like, gosh, I don't know how I'm going to give it. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Lord, I feel like I'm giving up this whole thing. I've been saving for this, and yet you've directed me to give it over here to this person to meet this need. Look what he says. He says in verse 19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. When we're able to stand before and go, yep, this was not the season in which God was actually calling us to give, or yes, this was where God was calling us to give generously to my brother or my sister, to sacrificially love them and meet their needs. It actually produces confidence in our salvation. It actually gives us security. That's the beauty of this. And he's saying God knows our heart. So we can kind of trick God. Many of us are probably pretty good at times. And I know in my life there have been seasons where I'm good at justifying why I'm not the right person to give to something. And I know when God is working and convicting my heart. But I also know when God is actually calling and calling me to give generously to one another. And as I give generously, guess what? 
what happens is I see how God begins to minister to my own heart. I see how God uses it for His purposes. I see the futileness of how I thought I was going to be able to use it. And I see the value of His security. And then the second thing that it leads to is alignment with His will and prayer. It leads to alignment with His will and prayer. Because when I begin to love people sacrificially, I begin to no longer pray for myself, but I begin to pray for others. And I begin to pray for His will and work through my life, not simply for the blessings which benefit and comfort me. The I want prayers begin to to move aside and the God, what you want and you desire become preeminent and important. And I begin seeing people and the needs that they have and I begin seeking them out and praying for them and asking how God might use that. I've seen that in my own life with supporting people who have need, who are walking in obedience to Christ. Sometimes it's, it's going to the mission field. Sometimes it's taking on extra family members or people in need of homes. Sometimes it's the person who literally has nothing. But what I have seen is that my prayers become guided towards the mission of Christ, which is that the world might know the gospel. Rather than my own personal mission. C.S. Lewis said this, and we'll conclude. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. This life is temporary. God has given us His model of love, which is Jesus, but He has also given us His means, which is Jesus. If we're going to love others well, we have to surrender to Him and love as He loved us. And as we do so, God will reaffirm both His confidence and His will. And what we find as we walk in obedience with Him is that we find that we understand the love of God more that He has for us and for people and that we desire to love people and Him more. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You that we can worship You this morning. Thank You for this passage and the reminder, God, that You are calling us to meet needs, not just to love in word or talk. So Father, let us be a people who act in love. Let us be a people who speak in love. And let us be a people who love one another well. And may redemption be a church marked by your love for one another. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.